Praise God. Thank you for being here, for being early. I invited you to be early and being in this place, and I'm glad that you listen and that you're here. And uh, it's just important during this series that we do this in this way. So I moved your cheese, right? You remember the book? Who moved my cheese? If you're not familiar with the book, just like I am used to my routine, I'm used to what I'm comfortable with, and I'm used to coming to church, and the first thing we do is we enter into the darkness, and then there's worship, and I can kind of sneak in, and I have to really sing, I don't have to participate, I can do whatever, or you can sing, and then like after 20 minutes, I've got this warm-up done, and then I'm ready for the Word of God, but in this series, we're switching it. In this series, we're starting by opening the Word of God and letting it speak to us, right? So if you have your Bibles, you're going to want to open them now. If you have a version Bible app and you want to look at that, get the Word of God in front of your eyes. It'll change everything. The eye is the gate to the soul. So we're going to hear from the Word of God, and then this incredible stuff, we're going to actually respond to what we've heard First, what we're going to do after we hear the Word of God is something called confession. If you know what confession is, raise your hand. All right, what we're going to do is Bruno and Landon built this giant brown box, and they're going to roll it right here. I'm going to sit on one side, and you're going to sit on the other side, and your side has a microphone. And then in front of everybody, we're just going to start listing what you did this week. All in favor, say aye. Aye. All opposed, say I. Yeah, we're not doing that, but we are doing confession. And confession is often missed in the church these days. Confession simply is the Lord speaks to us, we hear, and then we speak back to God and say, God, this is what I've heard. And it may be like a confession. Oh, Lord, your word and me are not aligned, and so I confess before you and I repent before you. It may be a declaration of commitment that you're saying, God, now under the counsel of your word, I want to live this way. I want to do these things. And you just begin to confess to the Lord. And oftentimes we hear the word and then we're out of here and we haven't interacted. We haven't conversed with God about what the word meant for us and to us. We haven't confessed back to him. And so we're going to hear from the word First, that's what I'm up here doing now. I moved your cheese. And then we're going to confess. And then we will close with singing and clapping and dancing and whatever else it is that you feel like you need to do before the Lord. All of this together, word, confession, and singing is all worship. So I didn't say we're going to do the word and then we're going to do confession and then we're going to worship, right? All is worship. And that's the heart of of this series, responding to God. It is the heart of worship. And so that's what we're going to do in this time. And by the way, here's what I'd love for you to do in this series, beginning next week. We only have one service next week. It's at 11. I've invited the entire 9 a.m. crowd to come here because there's a marathon going on in town and they run literally through the high school parking lot. And so from like 8 to 10, you can't even really pull in to the high school parking lot. We have a way to bless them and serve these marathoners that uh, Christine's going to share at the end of service, but next week we'll all be here at 11. Everyone got that? Are we in one accord? Two claps? That means you're paying attention. So if, as I should say, you leave your house next week to come to church, I'm going to ask you to get into your car and turn on the worship music. 
Just go ahead and begin to bathe yourself in the presence of God so that when you get to church, you don't need the 20-minute warm-up. You're ready to go. You come in frothy. Frothy? Also known as frothy. (laughs) You come in ready. And you may say, hey, I got little kids, and they talk the whole time. And here's what I want to say to you. Pump up the jams. Pump it up. (laughs) You just go like this. They're loud. You get louder with the worship. They like turn it down. You're like, what? And just begin to sing in your car. You don't need our band, even though our band's amazing. All you need is some spirit flowing through you. So that's what's going on. Uh, Before we jump in, I want to, I already reminded you about the marathon next week. Uh, Please pay attention at the end of service to what Christine has to share. We'd love for you to help us serve the marathoners and then stick around for church at 11. Um, But the other thing that's happening is tomorrow we start our 21-day renew fast here at Illuminate Church. And if you're new to fasting, uh, it's really simple. Let's not make it complicated or difficult. It only means, it doesn't only mean, but at its essence, it means this. I'm getting rid of something. I'm, uh, I'm uh, fasting, I'm purging, and I'm taking something else in, in its place. For us, when we remove something from us from fasting, while, while fasting, it creates in us a hunger. And that hunger is what we're looking for. Because the hunger, that craving for that earthly thing, reminds us, no, I'd rather, I crave more, I am hungrier for God than this thing. And over and over, you get this opportunity to be hungry for God. Like, I want to go back to the chocolate cake, but I'm choosing God. So that hunger arrives. Not only that, the fast also gives you an opportunity to detoxify. The Lord may give you something to remove from yourself that's actually toxic to yourself. And he's not asking you to remove it for 21 days. He's giving you a 21-day head start on a new habit during the fast. And so we purge, we get rid of, so that creates this hunger, creates this space for God's holiness and his presence, and then you replenish with God and his goodness, his word, in prayer, in study, whatever God tells you to fill it with. You take out one thing and you refill it with something else, right? So for me, as I was praying, our whole staff was praying this past Tuesday at our our staff meeting, what, what about the fast? What is God speaking to us? And this is what the Lord said to me. It's time for you to remove this. <gasps> now, I'm not removing it completely because I'm still going to use it as a telephone. Remember when that's what it was? <laughs> a telephone. I, I'm going to use it as a telephone. I'm going to use it to text. I'm going to use it for Microsoft Teams, which connects our team. And that is it. So the ESPN app, the news feed, my screen time report comes up every Sunday morning. And this morning, in the middle of first service, while I'm saying the sentence, it popped up. And I looked down and I held up my phone and it said screen time down an average of 17% this week to four hours and five minutes daily. <laughs> I am not on the toilet that long. <laughs> I know I'm the only one, but we never clean our phones if you think about it. So anyway, don't think about it. You're thinking about it. Stop thinking about it. Four hours and five minutes that I spend on my phone, which you could say another way, four hours and five minutes that I waste on my phone. 
And the Lord said, get rid of that. And every time you have the desire to go look and see what's happened on ESPN or check stocks, check Robin Hood, check the weather, check Twitter, whatever you're checking. For me, he said, it's time to, to create space for something else. I said, well, what's the something else? He says, this is personal to me, by the way. It may sound weird to you, but to me, it's great. He said, I want you to go read inspiring stories of people that did the impossible to remind you that I am the God of the impossible. You need to know that in this season. And I said, so you want me to get rid of distraction and replace it with inspiration? Sign me up. So that's what I'm doing. Because I prayed, I heard from God, I believed that the Lord was saying, and now I'm obeying it. So that's all you need to do for yourself. Hear, believe, obey. Pray, God, what do you want me to get rid of? What do you want me to replenish with? Believe that he's speaking to you and then obey. It starts tomorrow for 21 days. We break the fast together here on Super Bowl Sunday morning. That's February 13th, January 24th through February 13th. Everybody clap your hands. Very good. Y'all are ready. So this year we're talking about becoming whole people. It's what we shared last week in Vision Sunday. Whole people, whole in mind and body and spirit, whole in relationships, whole financially. Whatever way you can think of, of being whole, there's a whole lot of good that comes from whole people. God sees you as whole. And here's what I'm trying, or what the Lord is trying to speak to you this year, is stop seeing yourself as anything other than whole. Because when you see yourself other than whole, you look like or feel like an unfinished, incomplete, broken piece of Maybe junk, I don't, that may be too heavy of a word. And when we feel that way, when we feel unwhole, we go looking for things to make us whole. And we run ourselves ragged, we run ourselves into immorality, trying to do what the Lord has already said you are. If we would live from the belief that we are made whole in Jesus, we would stop chasing after the empty calories that rot our teeth and give us nothing and instead be whole. Somebody say, yes! In our journey towards wholeness, the very first thing I felt like the Lord said was important to put in front of our eyes, our spiritual eyes, for us to consider is this concept, this directive. It's the meaning of this series. It's this, live with abandon. Somebody say, live with abandon. Live with Amen. You nailed it, Evan. Perfect. In your Bibles, in the Gospel of Luke, we're going to look at Luke chapter 17, verse 11. I want to give you a second to get there. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And in this scripture, we're going to find a man who lives with abandon. And the good news is, is we can be this man. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Are you ready? Yes. Are you ready? Yes. Hmm. By the way, I meant to say hello to everyone watching online. I just got out here and got so excited. So welcome to you. We love you. Glad that you're there in your warm pajamas. All right. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. He's leaving Galilee in the north, traveling down the border of Samaria on his way to Jerusalem towards his crucifixion. Verse 12, as he was going into a village, so he's not in the village yet, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice. Let's all say this together loudly. One, two, three. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. That's what they're yelling to Jesus. Verse 14, when he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. They weren't 
cleansed when Jesus spoke the word. They weren't cleansed standing there. They were cleansed as they obeyed. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Dun, dun, dun! Yeah, that's how it feels to me when I read it. Apparently only me. <laughs> Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Dun, dun, dun. Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. My mama always taught me that if an authority figure says something, you don't debate it and you don't delay it, you do it. The old phrase, if they say jump, you don't say how high, you just jump. You do what they say right then. Never was this more true than when we took our first whitewater rafting trip as a family on the Rio Grande River in southwest Texas at Big Bend National Park. Anyone here ever been to Big Bend? It is absolutely stunningly gorgeous. No one. Please go. It's in the middle of nowhere. Um, so as we're boarding the boats, my mom says to me, if, or to all of us, three, I have two brothers, if the guide tells you to do something, you do it immediately. The first threat of disobedience is spanking, but really what was implied there was, if you don't obey, you're going to die in the river. Right? Thanks, Mom. She's probably watching. Hi, Mom. So, um, we're down on the river. It's beautiful. There's rapids, water splashing everywhere. It's a little bit exhilarating, terrifying, but mostly incredible fun, beautiful, peaceful, all of that stuff. Halfway down, I realize that the gum I am chewing since the beginning has now turned into basically silly putty. It's just hard. It's tasteless. And all I'm chewing it now for is exercise, right, for my gun, my, my jaws. They're just getting fatter and bigger, whatever. And so I decide I need to get rid of my gum. I don't want to throw it into the water. That wouldn't be good. So I say out loud, I want, I'm done with my gum. What should I do? The guide answers from behind me, and he says, stick it behind your ear. So I'm talking. It wasn't even a millisecond. It might be the fastest I moved in my life because I remember my mom saying, you do what the guide says, and you always do what the authority figure says. And I took the gum up. I put it right back there, just like that. Well, I don't know if you know this, but behind most of our heads, behind the ear, there's hair. And the gum and the hair became one instantaneously. And the end of the story is me with a really bad haircut. But I did what the authority said so, even though I didn't realize at my young age he was joking. Harvey and Charlotte Collier left England in April of 1921 with their eight-year-old daughter Marjorie. They're leaving England to go to Idaho because Idaho has better climate for Charlotte. Her lungs are not good in, I guess, England weather and what, being what it is. They just wanted to get to Idaho. And so they boarded this boat called the Titanic. And on April 14th at 11.40 p.m., they were in their cabin when suddenly there was a loud bang and then some scraping and the whole boat shuddering. And Harvey said to Charlotte, like, I'm going to go investigate. 
So he leaves the cabin, he's gone for a while, and eventually he comes back and he speaks to Charlotte. She wrote it down, she survived. This is what he said. What do you think? We've struck an iceberg, a big one, but there is no danger. An officer just told me so, right? We have this problem. It's a big, big problem. However, there's no danger because the authority figure said that we're safe. So I'm just going to believe what the authority figure said. We always should obey an authority figure. When they tell us what to do, you just do it. But what happens, as was the case for me on my mini boat and on the Titanic, when the authority figure, purposefully or not, tells a lie? What do we do if the authority figure is a deceiver? This may or may not shock you, but I want to tell you the truth. This world we are on isn't beginning to sink. It's been sinking since the very beginning. This earth will pass away. This earth post the fall of humankind in the Garden of Eden is passing away. It's going not swimmingly, shall we say. That's why the Lord promises to make a new heaven and a new earth. If this is the one he wanted to be on, he wouldn't have to restore it. And there's a reason that it's heading that way because there's been an authority figure who's been lying to humanity since the very beginning saying, hey, you don't have to do it God's way. Saying, hey, it's okay. We, it may look like we have a problem. It may look like the problem is huge, but there's no danger. Don't worry. You're safe. You're good. Who is this authority? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons and daughters of disobedience. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the lowercase g, God of this age, singular age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan himself is the prince who has power in this air, this cosmos, our earth, government structures, human morality, lying and deceiving. Satan is the lowercase God of this age whose very nature, this prince, this God of this age, his very nature is to abhor God. It happened way before in heaven where the devil wanted to be God and tried to usurp power and overtake the government of heaven and he was kicked out of heaven like lightning. Shoo! sent down to the earth, and he's been ruling the earth, the cosmos, since that time. He, and the devil, by the way, the re, he doesn't just abhor God, he abhors anything that wants to give God glory. So he hates people trying to get near to God, and what he'd rather you do is not know of God, not know that we are in danger if not for the Savior. He's lying. But what this prince of the air forgets is that he's just a prince and he's not the king. 
What the lowercase g God of this singular age forgets is that there's a uppercase g and uppercase g God who is the God of all ages, the ancient of days. And that God has a word for this little God. King Jesus gives us an escape. He gives us a lifeboat, if you will, to get off of this sinking earth. John chapter 12, verse 23 says, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He's speaking here of his death, burial, and resurrection, specifically the resurrection. Verse 24, he says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, he's referring to himself, unless I fall to the ground and die, I will remain. It only remains a single seed. But if it dies, if I die, it will produce many seeds, meaning when he died and crushed sin and death, by his resurrection and then went to heaven, the seed of the gospel was sent out to every person via the Holy Spirit. It's diversified, proliferated. And then he turns to us in verse 25 and says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who loses their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If you love the lies of the enemy, The wages of that is death, spiritual death, physical death even. As we cling to the deceiver and the ways of this world, if you want to keep that life, you're actually going to lose your life. If, however, you want to move from brokenness to wholeness, from death to life, then you must lose the life you are living now and replace it with this other life for Jesus. I put it in a sentence that doesn't say it better than Jesus, but it helps me understand it. The life that you're looking for, the life of abundance, the life of peace, the life that makes relationships right, makes good decisions repeatedly, the life that lives according to God's word, that life will only be found when you lose the life you're living now. Okay, I want that life, but how do I lose my life and still be alive? Like. God's not telling us. Jesus isn't saying, I want you all to physically die, right? I think you know that, but just to be clear, but how do we lose our lives while still living on the earth? The answer is this series, to live with abandon. We are abandoning the earthly kingdom and walking over into a heavenly realm, to abandon the brokenness and walk into wholeness. In the story of the 10 lepers, we see that 10 people are physically healed But only one of them lives with abandon. If I were to say anything to you today, through this series, in this year of wholeness, or for the rest of your life, I'm going to tell you this. Be this other guy. Be that one guy. Be that 10% that does it different, that lives with abandon. And before we can go any further, I want to point out two terms from Luke chapter 17. And they're two invitations from Jesus. They're two offers from the King of Kings for every person here. The first is this, cleansed. Everyone say cleansed. That means to be detoxed, to remove admixture. Something was added into your mixture and now you are no longer yourself in its purest form. And so to be cleansed is to remove what was added and to return to your pure form. What was added to these men's was infirmity, leprosy. Specifically, this cleansing has to do with physical healing. And as I noted earlier, it came by their obedience. Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priests. And what he's saying is, hey, go show them that you're healed. And they're standing there like, "Uh, I have leprosy. 
my fingers have fallen off, my nose looks weird, my hands are withered. I can't go show myself to the priests. But the master said so. By the way, the lepers are the only ones to call Jesus master besides the disciples, which is really cool. The master spoke. That settles it. I'm going to walk. And that walk is not just obedience, that's faith. I'm not healed yet, but I'm turning and walking. And as they went, they were detoxed. The infirmity of leprosy was taken from their bodies, and they returned to their healthy, pure self. What a relief this is. We're going to talk more about leprosy in a minute, but it is a massive healing. This isn't a boo-boo on a hand or, or a cold or anything like that. This is a healing that's incredible to these men, both for their bodies and for their souls. What relief. And Jesus did this a lot on earth. He did a lot of physical healings. But there's this one time in Scripture where there's a bunch of people getting healed. Jesus sleeps. He gets up the next morning. They're like, hey, there's a bunch more people that need to get healed. And Jesus says, no. Like, wait, 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 wait. Jesus says, I have to go and do what my Father sent me to do. So wait, this isn't it? Well, this is part of it, and this is great, and this is good. Jesus is for your physical healing. I want you to hear that today. But he's more concerned about the second healing, the greatest healing, made well. Everyone say made well. That's the other term. Yeah, it literally means saved you. I saved you. Delivered out of danger into safety. Delivered from the brokenness, from the death and the darkness to wholeness, life, and brilliant light in the kingdom of God. Abandoning this life, for this life happens when we are made well. And by the way, you're not just delivered from something, you're delivered to something, right? You've heard that before. It's a statement to live by. When you're delivered into the presence of God, you know, Psalm 16 tells us that in his presence is the fullness of joy. In his presence is peace. In his presence over here is where that wholeness comes. And we are made well. Between the Being cleansed and being made well, being made well is the one you absolutely want. Please also seek the Lord for physical healing, but don't do it to the detriment of being made well because a temporary healing will be trumped by this eternal healing of your soul. Your soul goes on forever. Hmm. This one man was made well. One of them. There's ten. One was made well, but how? I'll tell you how. He... This guy did what Jesus said in John 12. He lost his life. He literally, he abandoned his life the moment he turned and said, I'm going back to worship Jesus. He gave up his old life and a new life begins. And just write this down. This is a truth that you can live by. Old lives, broken lives, unhold lives die in a new life of worship in a lifestyle of worship. Old lives die, unwholeness, brokenness, death. Am I making clear what's over here? And over here is new life and wholeness. This dies when we worship. That's abandon. Abandoning ourselves means to express our faith in worship. So instead of defining worship today, I'm gonna do that in week three, actually. I just wanna show you what worship looks like because 
Though worship can include singing, as I mentioned earlier, it is so much more. And this man in Luke chapter 17 gives us a picture of what it looks like to abandon his life and fully worship God in all ways. And I want to just show you how he did that. So how to live abandoned, how to lose your life so that you can find new life and be made well. There's four things you can do just like this guy did. Number one, write it down, abandon the crowd. Abandon the crowd. There's nine guys going one way and one dude's like, I'm going this way. There's nine in a crowd, and there's one who separates himself out. He is now set apart from the crowd. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that God is holy. Everyone say holy. Holy Holy means to be set apart. That's the essence, the very brick of the foundation of that word means to be set apart. So this man is being set apart, which means he's being made more and more like God. I want to say this to you, and I want to read it so I get it right. If you find yourself in the majority too often, you may be out of alignment with God. The crowd is over here going one direction, but God is set apart and holy going his own direction. He's different. He's other than. He's not caught up in the crowd. You may need to abandon a crowd in your life. And I, I grew up in the church. Maybe you didn't, uh, and, and that doesn't matter. It is my condition and my story here. And after I grew up in the church, I went to the University of Florida and then grew up in my faith. Uh, had nothing to do with the University of Florida. had everything to do with the men that I found there that absolutely loved and followed Jesus. And so I went from growing up in the church to growing up in my faith to immediately, uh, seven days after I graduated college, starting my life in ministry. August 21st, 1995, 26 or so years ago. And all of my life, I have had these conversations with myself. Maybe you've had them too. God, what? I'm not sure I like to be different. I, I, it makes me feel uncomfortable and awkward when I'm the only guy not fill in the blank. You go to a social setting, they're drinking, they're cussing, they're smoking, they're carousing. Hey, Tim, you want something? I'm like, oh, I'm good, man. I'm good. How about this? I'm good. Thanks, bud. And I don't know what they're thinking, but I interject thoughts into their brains thinking, they think I'm a weirdo. They think I'm some goody two-shoes, Jesus lover, weirdo. And in my mind, I become a social leper, right? He's the oddball. He's the different one. And you just feel like, oh, man, they're all looking at me weird. I know they are. And you look up and nobody is, but you just... Even when I moved here to Celebration Florida... I remember going to the sports fields. Owen, who's down here now, he's almost 20, but back then he was younger. And we go to these fields, and there's all these dads, big football dads. And then there's me. Like, hey, guys. <laughs> then there's a flag football draft at the town tavern, and they're all throwing stuff back. And like, hey, hey, blah, blah. And they're, 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 it's salty. I'll just say that. And again, it becomes very clear that I'm different. And it makes me awkwardly uncomfortable. Like, <laughs> and it just bugged me. I don't like this being the outcast weirdo. And one day, in the middle of one of these little private fits, inside, right? The Lord said to me, Tim, I look down on the earth. 
and all I see is darkness. Except every once in a while, I see these brilliant spots of light. And the world needs the light. What bugs you, Tim, delights me. Delights my heart when you swim the other direction. When you go against the flow. When you put hope out where there is no hope. And man, it's changed my attitude. I love being different now. I, I love being the only one who isn't. Now, that's not true, because I wish everyone might not be doing whatever. Like, that sounded weird, but you follow me? Hmm. This man is marching with 10, and he decides to turn around. And I wonder, can we just go there for a minute? Here's Jesus. Go and show yourself to the priests. I don't know why that's what Jesus sounds like, but that's what he sounded like. <laughs> and they start going, and he sees their bodies being healed, and they're like, whoa. And Jesus is like, you're welcome. <laughs> Glad that worked. And then one guy's like, you. How did Jesus feel when the one guy turned around? I'm assuming it delighted him. Like you recognize the gift. You, you recognize what happened. He abandoned the crowd so he could go and worship at the feet of Jesus. Your journey to wholeness may require you to abandon a crowd. That's between you and the Lord to decide what that is. But it's time to shine like a star in the dark. In the dark. Number two, abandon the strikes against you. We, we, this guy, this one leper may have a ton of strikes, but we only read about two of them here in the scripture. The first is that he's a leper. Leprosy is mentioned in the Bible 68 times, 55 in the Old Testament, 13 in the New Testament. And I don't know what you know about leprosy, but essentially people think it's a skin condition because fingers fall off, noses withered, weird things happen to people with leprosy. So we think it's a skin condition, but it's actually a neural condition. It's a, it's a uh, debilitation of your nerves. So everyone knows how nerves work, and let's get on the same page. I see some medical people over here. <laughs> Help me if I get this wrong. Um, nerves are everywhere in your body, and they're like secret messenger spies. They're checking out the area that they've been assigned to, and they send messages to the brain to do stuff that the nerve sees and feels. So if you have an infection in your finger, the nerves go, brain, infection. Brain does big brain stuff, sends science stuff to happen to your finger that's way complicated, and boom, you're healed. <gasps> But if the nerve never said anything, big brain don't know. If you put your finger on an oven that's on, nerve says idiot has finger on. Brain goes, move finger, idiot. Hey! But if you don't have any nerves there, you cook your finger. This is a true story. People with leprosy would have their feet eaten by rats and not know it. Oh, how was dinner? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> In leprosy, we'll move along. The, these connections are lost between nerve and brain. Brain doesn't know. The man with the withered hand in Scripture, he had leprosy. And Jesus heals them. So in the Old Testament, leprosy is usually equated to sin and something's going on. But in the New Testament, it's less about sin and it's more about separation because leprosy couldn't kill you, couldn't maim you and make you look 
deformed, but there was no cure for it. And not only that, it was highly, is highly contagious. And so if you're a little child back in those days and mommy said, there's something weird going on with your foot, let's take you to the doctor, and the doctor's like, um, it's leprosy. Here's what happens. There's not even a hug goodbye. Separated for the rest of your life from your family, from your friends, and you're put into, you've heard this term before, a leper colony. It wasn't a leper camp where you would hang out for a while. It's a colony where you lived until you died. Separation, isolation. That's all that these 10 men have known. So when Jesus physically heals them, it is a huge deal. Now notice, Jesus was going into a village, which means he wasn't in the village yet. They were outside of the village because they were isolated from the people. Notice that they shout from a distance because they can't get near Jesus. Master, have pity on us. Effectively, they were this word you've probably never heard of before. They were quarantined. Hmm. We joke, but now think about that. We've been quarantined probably once or twice in this COVID season. And we don't like it. That's what these guys knew for their lives the entire time. That's one strike against them. The second strike is that he's a Samaritan. Dun, dun, dun. We've covered this here many times, but let me just say it again briefly. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. It's the West Side Story, Jets, and the Sharks. It's L.A., Blood versus Crips. It's the state of Florida, Gators versus Seminole. It's the United States of America, Republicans and Democrats on Facebook. That, that's... <laughs> <laughs> the 10 lepers, I want you to know, were all healed from a distance. All the lepers had a chance then to draw near to Jesus. They're healed, but only one did. And which one? The least likely one. All the rest of them are Jews, as is Jesus. And then you have the Samaritan, this low-down, dirty shame of a person, right? Not really, but that's what the Jews thought of him. He did not let those strikes count against him, and he drew near to the heart of God. In this series, I want you to abandon the strikes against you that keep you at a distance from Jesus. Whatever failure, whatever's in your past, whatever's in the closet, whatever shame, whatever immorality thing, whatever stinking thinking you've got going on, it's a strike against you. But the Lord tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he keeps no record of wrongs. None. You've got a list. God's like, I ain't got it. The only one reminding me of my fa your failures, God's saying to you, is you. I remember them not there. As far as the east is from the west, abandon the strikes against you. God already has. Number three, abandon concern for what others think of you. So this guy turns around, and he didn't care what anyone else thought. So dramatic is this healing. So life-changing is this healing. That he turns around, and you know where Jesus was unless he was somewhere solitary praying? He's crowded with people. The disciples are there, not just the 12, the 70, the one, however many are following him. The Pharisees, the Sadducees are like checking him out, like what's going on with this Jesus do, whatever. And this guy walks into that place and he says, my God, you have saved me. 
You healed me of my leprosy. And then he falls at his feet and says, Jesus, thank you. Looks a little weird to us, doesn't it? This guy didn't care. The passion in his heart was displayed by the volume of his words and the positioning of his body. It's how much he wanted to worship God. It's how much the gift was worth to him. I want to say a few words here that are going to be the hardest thing I may say in this whole series for everyone to take into their spirit. But I often wonder why we Christians in the church don't worship like that anymore. This guy displayed his fervor externally. Couldn't contain it. Like at a sporting event, not at a professional game, I'm talking like at a kid's game, and they score and you go nuts. Have we forgotten how great the gift is that we've been given? Have we forgotten how much the gift cost Jesus to give? And have we forgotten how much that we needed this gift that cost Jesus his life so that we would walk in here on a Sunday morning and not care what anybody thinks and let it rip for Jesus? Think about this for a second. I'm just going to say it. If you give a great gift to somebody and they go like this, hmm, thanks. I'll write you a thank you card in about six months. You know what they call that? Spoiled. And I wonder if God looks down from heaven at churches on Sunday morning and says, man, they're spoiled. I don't know if God would actually say that. I mean, he's God and he's great and he's loving and he's awesome. And so I don't want to put words in God's mouth. But wow, the gift that he's given us. I want to introduce you to the idea of careless praising. Careless praise. It's not where you're so careless, you're whapping people in the face and whatever. It just means I could care less what you think of me while I worship. And I'm going to care more about what he thinks of my worship or the way that I sing, the way that I obey, the way that I live, the way that I stretch my hands, the way that I dance, the way that I kneel, the way that I cry, the way, whatever it looks like, I'm stopping caring what you all think because I only care what he thinks. And he's not going to leave here today. I'm not going to leave here today with him thinking I'm spoiled. I recognize the gift. I'm going to get here early. I'm going to be ready to go when the clock hits zero up here at church. I'm going to be like, just play the first note. I've been waiting all week to get in here and shout my praise to the king. He's saved me from death man this guy didn't care he just praised God and threw himself at his feet and he's not like a manic dude he's not like having a moment and people are like he's weird what happened is this guy is getting his posture right for so long he stood as the king of his own life and in this moment he knelt before his real king he threw himself at Jesus' feet. I just imagine like diving. Bam! Right at Jesus' feet. This goes into our last point, which is this. To abandon the throne of your life. That's what this man did. 
Jesus said, has no one returned to give praise except this foreigner? Has only this one come to worship? Psalm chapter 22 verse 3 tells us that God is enthroned on the praises of his people. Means that when we sing, God takes the throne of our lives. And when this man decided to turn and to worship the Lord Jesus, he was walking off the throne of his life down to Jesus' feet, and Jesus then sits on the throne of his life, and it's from that place, that vantage point, that Jesus says to him, you've been made well. You've been made well because the other things over here in the brokenness and unholiness that have been sitting on your life have left you unsatisfied and running after false gods. But now, in worship, the Lord sits on the throne and he orders your life and you find satisfaction in him alone and you're made well, you're made whole. When we fall at the feet of Jesus and worship, this is how we lose our lives to find new life in Jesus, to be made well, to be made whole. At its core, this is what worship is. God acts, man responds. Humanity responds. God heals the lepers. One responded, and in that response, he was made whole. The Bible also tells us that we love God. Why? Because he first loved us. He first loved you. He's mad about you. As crazy as I've been up here on the stage, it pales in comparison how crazy God is for you. Right here, right now. Next week, I want to remind us all how God acts. When I say God acts, I want you to remember his action for you. And I hope that you leave next week feeling more loved than you have in a long time by your father. He desperately loves you. Then the week after that, we're gonna talk about how we should all respond, and that's where we'll define what worship is. And then in week four, God is gonna teach us all together where we can fully, finally find satisfaction and be satisfied. But today, here's our response. I told you we're gonna open his word and hear from him, and now we're gonna enter into a place of confession where we speak back to God what's going on in our heart and have a conversation with him in this holy place. So I wanna ask you, here and now, and there online, if you would get in a posture that helps you do that. If that means standing, laying down, getting on your knees, bowing your heads, closing your eyes, whatever it looks like, but here's what I hope will happen. You'll get into a place where you see yourself at the feet of Jesus and having a conversation with him alone. No one else around, just you and him. Go ahead and do that now. Get yourself there. You, you might have to talk yourself into it. Focus. The Lord Jesus on his throne. Some are coming to the altar. That's welcome as well. Whatever it is for you. And let's enter this time of confession. I have some words here that may help you, but please add to them your own. You can speak out loud or you can just hold it there quietly in your spirit. Oh God, I have forgotten your greatness. I confess that I've been carried away with the crowd. And while I'm grateful for what you've done, I've forsaken 
you and who you are. I confess, Lord, I owe you the highest praise. Here and now, I testify to myself of all you have done and all you are and how worthy you are of my sincerest and loudest and careless praise. And just in your own way, would you begin to thank him now? Whatever that looks like for you. Almighty God, we thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you that you sent Jesus to the cross in my place. I thank you that every time I walk into your presence, you say, yes, come. You're invited. Come. Thank you, God, that you're near to the brokenhearted. I thank you, God, that your love is never-ending, that your faithfulness stretches to the heavens, that even when we are faithless, you are faithful. And I thank you, God, that you said to each of us, before we said it to you, you said, I love you. I'm mad about you. Just begin to respond to him in all his faithful acts and mostly just for who he is. God, we worship you today and our desire is not so that we can be made well. That's a byproduct. Our desire is just to say, you're the love of my life. In Jesus' name.